Hello, everybody. This is Jenny Lesko here with Rental Magazine and ForConstructionPros.com. I am here today with Tony Grote, IPAF North America Manager, and we are going to talk about ANSI standards and the revisions they are going through that go into effect this December and what it means to contractors and equipment owners. Tony, um, can you start with just sort of a very short overview of what ANSI is um, as an organization? Well, it's the American National Standards Institute, and they are involved with trying to create standards for all types of processes, manufacturing procedures, to provide a, a common way of North American business being competitive in the world marketplace. So uh, if you think about things like uh, a DVD or an electric plug, you want them to all be the same thing. You don't, you don't want to be able to not be able to use them the same thing. And it's, it's very, uh, very common that those standards go across all types of industries and processes and procedures. Okay. So that really is what they're about, and, and they oversee the uh, development of those processes in a consensus manner so that everyone has a voice in the creation of those standards. Okay, and so when you say consensus, that that says to me um, it's an agreed-upon uh, solution or plan. Um, so what? how is that? Well, you know what? Before we go into that, let me ask you to clarify. Today we are talking about what set of ANSI standards and what's happening to them, because we should go into that before we go into how weighty they are. Specifically, uh, we're going to be discussing the ANSI A92 standards, which cover mobile elevated work platforms, most commonly referred to as airy work platforms or cherry pickers. There's a wide range of common terms that are out there, but mobile elevated work platforms. And these standards that are coming out uh, have changed significantly in this marketplace from product-specific, where they had uh, a standard that covered everything uh, for a type of equipment, so self-propelled booms as an example. And in, in that prior standard, they had requirements for manufacturers for the design and, and, uh, and testing of those uh, for users and uh, owners and uh, in the safe use of those and uh, operators. Everyone's responsibilities were in that one standard. And the new standards uh, cover all the groups of products. Uh, and we have a design standard, a safe use standard, and a training standard. And, 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 and there are some significant variations in those because in the past uh, we had training requirements in the standard and now we have a training standard. Uh, so that is uh, you know, an example of the significant changes in those and the products that these uh, standards are uh, uh, say overseeing. Okay. So it's safe to say then, as you were, you know, explaining about the now we have a standalone training standard. I mean, so it's going to go into more depth, uh, more specifics on how to be compliant. I would imagine than the way it was prior. Is that correct? Yeah. Before be... this, it said that you needed to train, and uh, and and within the confines of it, said here's ten items. Topics that that need to be included in training. Go to it. Uh, 
And and you can imagine with that narrow line of, of guidance that what resulted was significant variations in what that training was uh, to individual trainees. So some of it was, you know, very short and other was very long and everything in between. There was no consistency, and, and the word that I use is no standardization to it. Mm-hmm. And, okay. having a, and having a new training standard, it's not just that you need to train, it's that you need to train in a standardized manner. And the standard provides methods and guidelines to prepare the training materials, defines administrative criteria, and, uh, and delivery elements that are required for proper training and familiarization of these mobile elevated work platforms. So significantly more detailed uh, in, in, in what you are required to do. And you know, from, from an from a, uh, industry stakeholder, myself, I'd go over and say that my assumption was that many of the things that are in these new standards should have been done in the past, but because people, you know, aren't, don't deal with it every day, aren't, aren't fluent with it, um, a lot of it wasn't standardized. And there was a tremendous amount of variation in delivering standardized training. And, and, and I think that that is, you know, probably the most significant element uh, in change to these standards, which is it's saying this is what you should be doing and this is who should be doing, qualified people. And uh, so it, it, it will result and uh, training being much more standardized. Okay. And these changes go into effect in December. Um, so how is that going to be – and this, uh, the, the other side of that question is, is um, we, t- we started to lead into this a little bit earlier, but, you know, what, what, are, the, what are the weight of these standards in terms of of enforcement and you know they're going into effect in December what's going to happen if you aren't ready or how do you get ready by then um, I guess I'm looking at it from the from the perspective of the people who are most affected by this what do they have to do and by when well the standards were published in December of 2018 and the standards uh, provided in the uh, layout uh, what we call a, a grace period or 12 months from publication to the date where they go into effect. So the industry uh, basically had 12 months to get prepared to put these in place. Uh, I, I, would, I would add that I don't want to get off track too far, but these standards are scheduled to go into effect in December. There were a couple of appeals, so there is some procedural issues that are out there to change some some language, uh, and we're hoping that they will still stay uh, with the December effective date, but it may slip a little bit, uh, you know, in, into January. But uh, they they are they are coming, uh, okay. and you know, in in relationship to the weight of these standards, uh, you know, this is my 40 plus year in the industry, and uh, and I would say I was around when. In 1970, OSHA first published their regulations. And at that point in time, aerial work platforms and a lot of other products were just being introduced or weren't even thought of. And those standards are kind of stagnant out there uh, and uh, don't 
provide sufficient guidance that is needed to uh, both manufacture and, and safely use and train on these products. Because if, if the OSHA standards were the only thing that was out there, I, I would say that uh, we, we would have a big mess on our hands. In fact, the OSHA uh, regulations don't even refer to scissor lifts. Uh, uh, they refer to the 1969 ANSI A92.2 standard for vehicle-mounted aerial work platforms. And scissor lifts in, in OSHA's regulations are covered by rolling scaffold towers, and anyone in the industry would know those two aren't the same things, and, and, and you can't compare those two uh, equitably. So our industry standards are really the things that, uh, that we have the flexibility to develop, and in fact, we, we are required to review them every five years because technology and, and, and best practices can evolve and, and do evolve. And they are referenced at times in the ANSI standards, or excuse me, in the OSHA regulations, like the ANSI A92.2-1969, which is pretty old. Uh, and by reference, it becomes law. And, and, and all the new standards that roll out afterwards, and which is most of them for, for our industry, are not specifically referenced in, in the standards, but OSHA will refer to them in most of their um, evaluations of when an accident occurs. And they'll bring them in as, as, as a best practice under what they call the 5A1, which is the general duty clause. So from an OSHA perspective, you know, that they're referred to, I'm going to say, just about every time OSHA addresses an accident with a product in this industry. And then from an industry perspective, every manufacturer will manufacture that product to be compliant with the design standard. And within that design standard, they have to put out a, a manual, and, and that manual refers to compliance with the safe use and training requirements within those standards. And if you think about from OSHA, uh, OSHA is, is going to be relied upon individuals following the manufacturer's uh, recommendations. Uh, there, there you have it. It's tied in there. So uh, you know, while the standards are developed as voluntary consensus standards, the reality is that uh, if you're using these products in the marketplace, you had best be following uh, these and being uh, being aware of what your responsibilities are, whether you're a manufacturer, a user of the equipment, an operator of the equipment, uh, someone who's renting the equipment. You have responsibilities that are defined within those standards. Okay. Um, that brings up uh, a question that I think we, we can't do enough to clarify, and that is the term user, because I know that um, a lot of the new revised standards um, – they refer to the user, and it, it isn't exactly what uh, everybody thinks it is. Can you kind of explain who the user is and, you know, what their responsibilities are? Well, I, I, I'm a, uh, an advocate of always referring to the standards as, as the foundation for it. So by definition, a user is an entity who has care, control, and custody of the mobile elevated work platform. And, and and for the most part, uh, what, what that means is that if you have an employee who is operating that equipment, you're, you're the user. 
And, and, and the dynamic of it is think of yourself as your manufacturer. And if you have uh, employees in the manufacturing facility who are operating that equipment, they're a user. If you're a rental company and you have your drivers who are operating it, drive, um, your mechanics who are operating the equipment, in that capacity, they're a user. And if you're a contractor and whether you own it or you rent it and you have your employees you know, uh, operating that equipment, you're the user. So it, it really is is about, you know, when, when I go back to the, the new safe use standards, if you're using the product, you're the user. It's probably the best way to, to have most people understand it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you for that clarification. Um, all right. Well, so who, I mean, with regard to the, the, the standards in general, um, the people most affected are people, well, the user, um, and you already outlined who that is. Um, where can these people go for more information um, you know, to make sure that they're meeting all the requirements to be in compliance? Well, trade associations are, 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 are a good place, and, and IPATH, in my opinion, is a, um, an exceptional place because our association uh, is focused almost exclusively on powered access equipment, mobile elevated work platforms and, and mass climbers. So we, we have a, uh, a depth of information on the subject matter. Our website is www.ipath.org. You could go in there and you could do a web search. So if, if, as an example, you're thinking about, well, what we need to know about the ANSI standards, you could type in, ANSI standards and do a search, and it'll take you to a, a lot of information that we have on that subject uh, within, on our website. Uh, specifically on that website, we have what we call an, a white paper uh, on, the, on the standards, which really talk about how they will impact a, a user or a dealer of the equipment. And we didn't talk about the definition of a dealer. Most uh, times you can interchange a rental company with a dealer. But, okay. uh, but it's a little bit more complex than that. But within our website, you have those white papers, and it talks about the changes that are coming through on the design standard, the safety standard, and the training standard that will impact all users. So, you know, and, and I run a little bit off course here by saying, if you think about the design standard, which is how do I, you know, it's a standard on the design and manufacturing of, of the mobile elevated work platform, and you'd go over and say, well, why do I as a user have to know that? For the most part, you probably don't. But because these standards are going to define changes in the design and manufacturing of these equipments, that can impact you as a user. A, a very specific example is the new standards have a requirement where most every mobile elevator work platform that is going to be designed and manufactured under this new standard will have platform load sensing on it. And platform load sensing is new to anyone who's going to be using this equipment. And it will uh, have a device in there that will uh, change the operational uh, uh, function of the machine if the machine is overloaded. So simply put is that if I'm a user of this, here's a manufacturing standard that, you know, I'm not going to read, but there are consequences of that. And this white paper talks about some of the impact that the design standard will actually have on a user. And then we have uh, probably the most 
dynamic change uh, you know, for users is in the safe use standard. The safe use standard is, you know, is, is very detailed, uh, and if you were to look at that as, as a user in the, in the place that I would uh, direct them to go uh, is into the first section of it, which is, which is uh, section 4.2, and in there it talks about every user must create a mobile elevated work platform specific safe use program. And really what that says is you need to go in and have a program that will address all of the requirements in the safe use standard. And, uh, you know, how, how deep in, 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 uh, do you go with this? Well, if you're a contractor and using these products every day at all various job sites, your, your safe use program is probably going to have to be pretty thorough and, and detailed. If you rent uh, a mobile elevated work platform, you know, once every three years, you're probably not going to have to go into that level of, of, of detail, but you are going to have to make sure that you're addressing the issues to make sure that it is used safely and your people are properly trained on the day that you are going to use it. So uh, there's a lot of information that's in there that they need to become uh, familiar with. Lots of new um, requirements uh, in, in, the, in the standard itself, but in theory, they should have been doing these things before. An example of that in the safe use planning is the performance of a risk assessment to identify hazards, evaluate risk, develop control measures, and communicating them with all the people who are going to be affected by it. Now, that requirement was not in the prior standards. However, you know, it said that you need to perform these. Keep in mind that, you know, your people are going to be uh, elevated in the work platform, and you need to have good work practices to, to, to accomplish that. OSHA has, you know, uh, job hazard analysis requirements out there. So it really is applying those specifically to mobile elevated work platforms. And there, there's, you know, there's a, a really, I'm going to say, systemic approach to this. Uh, if, if I were to give a personal generalization, I'd say that too often people thought that, okay, I'm going to send my operator to be trained and that's all I have to do because he's trained and he's going to be using it and I don't have to know anything else. Eh, too far from the truth. Uh, you know, that, that's the starting line that, of, of things that you need to be doing because the once, once he becomes a trained operator, you need to evaluate him that he is qualified to perform the task. Just because he's trained doesn't mean that he's qualified to perform all tasks and operate every piece of mobile elevated work platforms in the world. And you as the user employer are going to be selecting it, the, the product that he's going to be using. And, you know, if, if you are a contractor and you own a 60-foot boom lift doesn't mean that the 60-foot boom lift is the right product for every application that you have. So there's lots of, of, of information that's in there that makes people think about it in a more thorough manner. And as I said, it's systemic. It, it addresses all of the uh, issues that you need to be thinking about, not just operator training. Right. Well, I look forward to digging into the rest of those intricacies in the follow-up uh 
podcast that we're going to be doing with you, Tony. Um, and I think that that does it for today um, on just sort of laying the groundwork for what ANSI is and what the new standards um, for mobile elevating work platforms mean. And um, we will follow up with more information uh, in our next series. Uh, thank you very much, Tony. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Jenny.